When was the last time you saw someone radically changed by Jesus Christ? Are you being changed by him? Or is your Christian community settled to a passive country club sort of faith experience that lacks power? Have you settled for less than the supernatural in your own life? Hi, I'm Janet Mylan, and if you're feeling an itch for the church to press into more of God's spirit, open your Bible to John 11, where you'll find something that might scratch that discomfort. Dana Gresh used that passage to ask the students of Grace Prep Christian High School to consider if they really believe the claims of Christianity. Using one question, a question that Jesus posed when he walked the earth, Dana invited them to experience resurrection in the dead places of their faith. I was there and this message has students, teachers, and staff on their faces before God. Students prayed with and for each other all day long. They hungered after God. I hope you'll be hungry for him after you hear this message from Dana recorded at Grace Prep Chapel. On the way here, um, don't sit down. In fact, I'm going to ask some of you to lay down maybe in a second. I feel, does some of you feel the sweet presence of the Lord in a really special way? I do. And on the way here today, um, I was remembering this thing that happened in my life many years ago. Um, I just was at this euphoric apex in opportunity to minister and serve the Lord. And as part of that, God was just opening doors and there was this growth. I had this contract with a publisher for like 12 books, which just doesn't happen. They like want to check one out and then maybe two at a time but 12 is unheard of this was like the rest of my life I'm going to write books with these people and God's going to use me well um, a new kid came into town to manage the publishing house and they decided that they wanted out of that contract and I was absolutely devastated and I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders it felt like all of my dreams dying it felt it just felt bad it felt do you hear the word felt I had an enormous migraine. I was hit with an exploding migraine. Have you ever had one of those migraines where you can't see, like you have lights in your eyes and you're just in excruciating pain? I was nauseous. I couldn't leave my bedroom. It had to be dark. I had to be laying flat or I was sick as can be. It was emotional. It was completely emotional. There wasn't even anything rational about it. It was my feelings taking complete control of my being. And my husband was so sweet and he brought me food and he, he brought me tea and he loved me and he tucked me in at night and he prayed over me and he read scripture to me and he encouraged me. And then on the third day he walked in and there's really no like third day Jesus rose from the dead kind of thing in this or anything. It just happened to me. The third day he just walked in. He goes, baby. And he turned the lights on. He said, get up. It's time to stand up. It's time to stand up. It's time for you to stand up and know who you are in Jesus and go out there and figure out what he wants you to do in this world to change it. Stand up. And he left. I was so mad. I was like, that's so heartless. And this morning as I was driving here today, the Holy Spirit was bringing that to my mind. I was like, that's so funny. I feel like something really special is going to happen in chapel today. I don't know what it is because I can't pretense what the Holy Spirit will do when he's in a room, but I feel him in his, his presence in here today. And um, anyway, so stand up, right? And I thought, I got to go in there and tell these students to stand up today. You might understand that when you hear my message. But as we were worshiping, Janet, who's on the True Girl team, handed me this and... Oh, 
You decide if the Holy Spirit's going to do something in here today. I saw a picture. This is what Janet wrote. As we were worshiping, I saw a picture of a boy carrying a load on his shoulders. The weight of it kept him from standing tall in the true confidence of the Lord. The weight was a cube. It didn't fit his shoulders. He has to constantly move and adjust himself to balance it from falling off his shoulders. This is causing him to become obsessed with the weight of it, constantly maintaining the weight of this burden. But God says, stand up. You were never meant to carry that weight. Stand up into who I created you to be and let the weight fall off. I feel like somebody needs to do that today. And so here's what I want to do. I want to sing that song again. And some of you can just sing that song and... You know, busy yourself with singing, that's fine. Some of you know what it means to truly worship when you lift your voice up to the Lord. And I want you to do that over those of you who are under a heavy weight. So if you feel like you are under a heavy weight today, I want you to come and lay down under it. That's how you're going to start worship. Go ahead, come, lay down under the weight. Just lay down. Come. It's not just for the boys. It's for the girls. It's not just for the students. It's for the teachers. It's just not for the women. It's for the men. It's not for the sinners. It's for the saints. Come. Lay down under the weight of that. And the rest of us are just going to gather around you. You might have noticed that generally when I come to chapel, you guys jump up and come to the center. So I did. And I'm like worshiping. And I thought I'll stay towards the back of the front because then I won't be like in the middle in the front of everyone watching me. And then I opened my eyes and nobody was there. So thanks for that. Um, But I'm going to invite you now to come gather around them. Sing. We're just going to sing this song over them one more time. We're going to invite their souls to stand up. Mm, Amen. Have a seat. Open your Bible to the book of John, chapter 11. All right, John 11, here we go. I want to ask you a question this morning. It's burning in my heart, and it's simply this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's not popular to believe this in our world today. It's not popular at all. I want to ask you today, do you believe it? And I'm asking each and every one of you this question today. I want you to answer honestly. Look around at our church, and I wonder if we believe this. I do. Is anybody else looking around at our church, capital C, big church, and wondering, do we believe this? Do we really believe this? Because I, I, I just, when was the last time you, guys, you, you, you saw God's spirit move mightily? When was the last time you saw God's spirit take hold of a room, let alone a community, and bring change that said, look at God instead of look at us. Look at what they do. Look at what we do. When was the last time you experienced the move of the Holy Spirit? I see it in Sadie's little testimony this morning. I see the move of the Holy Spirit in her life. That gets me so excited. When was the last time he did that in your heart? And I, I, I just, I look around and I wonder, are we playing church? I see a lot of practical atheists. These are the people that go to church. They come to Christian school. They know about the Bible. In general, they know what it says. Um, but they kind of live their lives as if it isn't real. 
and they don't believe it. Religion is stuck in their heads. It's not in their hearts. So it doesn't really change them. It doesn't really make them different. They don't really look that different. There's some, there's some piece of goodness about them, but there's no power of the Holy Spirit. There's no evidence of true belief. You know what else I see? A lot of sexual atheists. People who say, um, I want Jesus, but he does not get to say how I live out my sexuality and my gender. He gets no say in that topic. Religion is limited to letting God rescue them, save them, but there is really no God other than you because you get the final say in how you live and act. So there's really no God but self. I see a lot of Christian atheists. These are the people who... um, Think some of the Bible's real, but they have a nice sharp razor blade for the parts they don't like. And they take it to this Bible often. They cut out the parts that don't make sense according to the material world that they live in. There's nothing supernatural about that kind of faith. It's not the kind of religion and faith I want to have in my life. Do you want to have an impotent religion? I don't want that. There's no power in it. It's dead. I'm asking you today, do you believe this? And what I'm asking you today is radical. Because if you believe this, you are going to look different. You are going to sound different. You are going to act different. And you are not going to be loved and accepted. And boy, do we crave that. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. Do you believe this? By the way, that's not my question. It's a question that Jesus asked a woman who kind of looked and was living like she believed this, but did she really? Let's read John 11, chapters, um, verses 20 to 45. John 11, verses 20 to 45. Um, we're at the graveside of Lazarus. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming... She went and met him, but let me start in 17. Now, when Jesus came, I'm reading from John 11, 17 to 45. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were, who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise up quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly 
troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying I think you know how the story goes and we'll get to the good part but God let Lazarus die God allowed it He could have stopped it he didn't And I believe he allowed Lazarus to die because he wanted Martha and Mary to experience resurrection. He wanted them to experience the power of his his resurrection. Because when we experience resurrection, we change. Everything changes. I want to ask a simple question. What needs resurrection? When you look around, like, at our world today, what needs resurrection? Something that's dead, right? Something that's dead needs resurrection. I got to tell you something. I think we need resurrection. If that sounds harsh today, so be it. I don't think we're living like we believe that we know the resurrection and the life. What if everything we're going right through right now, what if the pandemic, the depression, the temptation, the relationships that are broken, the hurt in our heart, the doubt in our life, the struggles in our academic career, the struggles in our, in our professional career, what if all of it is so that you can experience resurrection? We need resurrection. See, as I look at this, I, I see Martha wanted Jesus to be her comfort. She did not expect him to be her resurrection. She wanted Jesus to comfort her. She wanted to be calmed and quieted. She had all the knowledge of the prophets in her head, right? When she, when she says, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection day, that's proving that she's read her, um, you know, the scrolls. She's heard the scrolls read, rather, at that time and, and age. She's heard the prophecies read. She knows what they say. It's in her head, though. Here's the thing. This good, if I could call her that, church-going woman had a form of religion, but she didn't have the fullness of an understanding that she had a resurrector for a savior. She didn't know that yet. She just wanted to be comforted. He didn't come to comfort her. He came to bring her life. He came to change everything. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? There's that question. Do you believe? And that's what I want to ask you today. Do you believe? Because today I think we are plagued by a desire for God to comfort us. There is a term that we got just a few years ago. It's called moral therapeutic deism. Basically, that means as Christians, we're good. We're moral. We got this. We got some good behavior going in our lives. Therapeutic. That means we approach our religion, we approach our Christ because we want him to do something for us. Take away the depression, take away the anxiety, take away whatever it is that plagues us. Deism, that means that, oh yeah, God made this world. He got it started and it's going, but he's got really no interest in the intimate moment. That's not the God I read about in the Bible, but it is the God that we're living as if we believe. 
We're good. We want comforted. And we don't expect God to be involved in the minute details of our everyday life. We're just like Martha. I'm asking you today, do you believe? Or are you treating God as Martha did, as if his time is not now? That's what she was doing. She was like treating him as if his time is not now. Um, We're treating him that way, but we have him in our back pocket just in case we need him, right? He's right there just in case we need him. But for now, we live in our trauma. We stay in our pain. We accept whatever it is as our reality without calling on the resurrection and the life to bring what is dead back into a revived state of power. Do you believe this? Some of you are treating Jesus as if his time is not now. You're sinning freely, callously, pridefully. Because he couldn't possibly comfort you the way that the porn could. He couldn't possibly comfort you the way that mindlessly scrolling through vulgar TikToks could. He couldn't possibly comfort you the way that vaping could. He couldn't possibly comfort you the way that sleeping with your boyfriend could. He could not possibly comfort you the way that arguing and entering in the hateful debate and rhetoric of our day could. So you just keep sinning. And at the end of the day... We have dead hearts, dead souls, dead minds. We're numbed by the things that we thought would satisfy us. But at the end of the day, did they really? It never worked for me. I've tried a lot of those things. It never worked for me. We're dead. But Jesus says to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, he's saying this to your heart. I am your resurrection and your life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? I gotta say, I've never come to a place in the life of our family of ministries where I have felt the extent of our sin and brokenness the way that I feel it now. And and I, I want you to notice that I said our sin and brokenness. It's mine too. I wonder if anybody else feels that. I wonder if anybody else's heart is on high alert the way that mine is. Do you believe this? I prayed with one of our seniors last week, and as I shared this with this senior, this person said, you know, um, there's a lot of depression in our community. A lot of depression. I thought that it was really sweet and sensitive of this person to bring this up as I was verbalizing my concern. Um, We had two suicides in our community in the last month. That didn't used to happen. Didn't used to happen. Do you realize that that is one of the symptoms that we need resurrection? That's one of the evidences of how far does it have to go? How many people have to go that way? Yesterday, Miss USA Today threw herself off the top of her building. How many times does that have to happen and our hearts are callous without stopping and weeping and going, something is wrong, we need resurrection. How many times? It's coming too close to home for me. We need a resurrection. 
I want to say this to you. Maybe you knew to the individ- one of the individuals that we lost tragically this past month. Maybe you've been crying. Maybe you have a grandparent who's died to COVID, or maybe you have a family that's going through a divorce. I don't know what trauma, what tragedy is hitting your heart right now, but I want you to know this. Without doubt, Jesus sees your tears. Jesus sees your tears. Look, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, that's Mary, and the Jews, oh, his precious people, who come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. He doesn't just see your tears that you cry on your pillow at night. He, just, he doesn't just see those tears you cry when you run to the bathroom so nobody sees them. He cries with you. He weeps with you. He is deeply moved by your pain. He hurts with you. He weeps with you. It wasn't just Lazarus who needed to experience resurrection. It was Martha and her dead faith. It was Mary and her weeping, doubting faith. And it was those sweet Jews that he loved so much. And today it's you and I who need it. Now, you might say, why do you keep claiming that I need resurrection as if you know what's going on in my heart and my life? Well, I don't. But let's ask the question, how can you know if you need a resurrection-style revival in your heart? Can we ask that question with some courage and bravery today? All right. Um, Now, you probably know you need a resurrection, but you're resisting it if there's sin in your life, especially if there's sin in your life and you're proud of it. So if you're one of the sinful ones, which isn't particularly in this passage, but again, it is because they were all sinful except Jesus. If you are sinful and there is sin in your life that you can't stop, you can't overcome, you, you, you need it, you reach out for it, you want it, and then you do it, and you hate it, and you hate yourself for it, and you're in that cycle and you can't stop, you need resurrection. The sinful ones need resurrection. But it's not just the ones that cl- classify themselves as sinners that need the revival, spiritual CPR. Sometimes it's those who classify themselves as saints, because I think Mary and Martha might have been in that category. Let's look at these verses. Who needs the resurrection? Well, Mary, the sad one, she needed resurrection. Are you sad? Are you depressed? Are you alone in your grief? You need resurrection. You know who else needed it? Martha, the smart one, the really smart one. She needed resurrection. I mean, can you think about this with me for a minute? Jesus was coming, the teacher, the rabbi was coming to her house. She chose her. She chose her house. Jesus was hanging out with her. And you might think, Jesus is in my house. Jesus hangs out with me. I know, I know the, the word. She knew the word, right? She was the smart one. Guess what? She needed resurrection. <laughs> you might need resurrection if you are a smart one. And then there were the Jews, his sweet chosen people, the ones who knew full well there was going to be a Messiah, but he was standing right in front of them, and they didn't know it. And Some of you are like those Jews. Jesus is standing right in front of you. He is your Savior. He is your Messiah. And you refuse to acknowledge it. You refuse to bow the knee. You refuse to see who he is. He is your resurrection. He is your life. Now, I want want to look at the Jews. What are we going to call them? We're going to call them the skeptical ones. Can we do that? Does that sound like a good description of them? The skeptics? 
They were prideful. Jesus was right there, offering to be their resurrection and life. But they were prideful. He would soon die for them. He loved them that much. But they still rejected him. And listen, he has died for you, and some of you are still rejecting him. He has died for you to be your resurrection and your life. And he is still rejecting. Why did he die? Does anybody know the answer to that? Why did he die? He died because he loves you. We're so programmed to be aware of our sinfulness that we forget the, the beginning of why. It's his love. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You will never experience a love like you can experience with Jesus. In fact, um, let's recite John 3.16. You know this one, and we'll probably get the NIV, KJV, NLT, DKG version, whatever that is. DKG, that's the Dana Grush version. All right, one, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Yeah, there you go. You good, you good Bible memorizing kids had to put the address at the end. God so loved. God so loved you, Christy. God so loved you, Eileen. God so loved you, my sweet girl. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you, Ernie. That's why he died. He died. He spent three days in hell for your rebellion. He spent three days in hell for your lying. He spent three days in hell for your sex addiction. He spent three days in hell for your cheating. He played, spent three days in hell for the way that you gossip and slander other people. He spent three days in hell for your private things that you can't even tell anybody you do because you're so ashamed of them. He spent three days in hell for you so that you did not have to because he loves you. For you. He did it for you. Not for us. He did it for you. And for those skeptics, those skeptical, skeptical Jews, Jesus was telling them to their face, right in front of them, I am the resurrection and the life. But they didn't think they needed Jesus. Do you think you don't need Jesus? Would you flip in your Bibles to Philippians 2 for me? I want to show you something. And as, as you turn there, I want to ask, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this book? Because look what's going to happen in, in Philippians 2. Um, oh, I didn't write the address down. Jesus, help me. God has exi highly exalted him. Who knows that address? I know, I know the verse. Verse 9. Thank you, Ernie. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is going to happen one day. Let me ask you to respond audibly. Do you believe that? I believe that's going to happen one day, that, that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That includes yours. 
That includes yours. One day your knee will bow. One day your tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And on that day, there's going to be one of two ways that we approach that bowing. Some of you are going to have great regret in your heart because it's the first time you've ever bowed. You're going to look into the eyes of Jesus and wish you'd spent less time being the sinful one, the sad one, the smart one, the skeptical one. But some of you are going to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ. Think about this. You are going to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ one day. And you're going to be so glad that you spent your light, the light of your life, illuminating his light. You're going to be so thankful that you walked away from your sin, that you walked away from your skepticism, that you walked away from your smartness, as good as it is. And you're going to feel so grateful that day. Which is going to be for you? Are you going to have regret in your heart or gratitude? I'm asking you today, do you believe this? If so, we have some stones to move because we need resurrection. You know, just a few minutes ago, we, um, some of you laid down to ex express that you have a burden that you're carrying in your heart, and then we invited you to stand up in faith that God was going to strengthen you. All through the scriptures, I see this, that God sometimes asks us to do things in the physical realm to express what we believe is happening and can begin to happen in the spiritual realm. Do you believe this? I do. And we see something here. Um, let's read it. Let's go back to John 11. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. She like does, thinks maybe Jesus doesn't understand how it works. She, thinks she does by now. She just said, I know you're the Messiah. And she's thinking, if you are, then you made the world, but you might not know how this dead thing works. It's going to smell bad. He's been dead four days, she said. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Now listen, could Jesus have moved that stone? Listen, if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can certainly move a boulder. Sometimes God demands that we move stones so that he can bring life. And some of you have stones to move today. Some of you have stones to move today. Some of you need to stop being the smart ones. I'm afraid I fall into that group. I think I fall sometimes into my faith getting stuck in my head. Listen, smart ones. Seniors, I'm talking to you. Hopefully at the end of four years at Grace Prep, you're a little smarter than when you started. Anyway, hopefully. Um, the student body can't experience resurrection unless you do. 20 years at Grace Prep have not seen it without the seniors leading out. And if there is life in you, there will be life in the student body. Teachers, staff, you're, hopefully you're smart, you're teaching. We really need to look at the condition of our student body right now and take some responsibility. Is there dead stuff in me? that I've passed on 
Husbands, your home is only going to be as revived as you are. Boom, I said it. True Girl Tour team, we're about to send you out to be leaders, and you are only going to be as fruitful as you are resurrected. Leaders, we need revival, and it has to start with us. Don't look around at the weakest link. When I read my word, I think that the leaders are the ones that Jesus held to a standard higher than others. He just sat with sinners and ate with them. He had a few hard words to say to those who considered themselves the smart ones. Some of you need to stop being the sinful one, and you need to confess your sin. James 5.16 says, confess your sin one to another, and then you will be healed. I would love to tell you that in all of my sinful stuff, that I finally got to stop it on my own. Until I told somebody, this is what I'm doing. This is how it's going down. This is how I'm walking away from the Lord in rebellion. Until I confessed it and called it what it was, I never had victory. You see, God gives us each other for the work of healing. Confess your sin, that's your stone. Some of you need to declare that you want Jesus to help you step out of your sadness. And here, listen. I know there's trauma. I have been traumatized. I know there's victimization. I have been a victim. But you have to decide if you will stay a victim or live like a victor. And if you are going to step out of your sadness and your trauma and your pain and your victimization, you've got to move a stone. Now, your stone's going to be as different as your pain. I don't know what that is, but it could start with talking to someone today to say, this is my pain, and call it what it is, tell somebody what it is, but you've got to move your stone. And listen, some of you need to stop being skeptics. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about him from your church. You've heard about him here at school. And um, for the first time in your life, it's time for you to bend your knee and say, he is my savior. He died for me. You've never said that before. That's your stone. Jesus said to her, I want to read these words again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? If the answer is yes, you believe this, are you living like it? Or are you living like a sinful person or a smart person or a sad person or a skeptical person? If, one, if you fall into one of those four categories right now, without a lot of fanfare and everybody's eyes open, I just want you to stand up and come bow your face before the Lord. It's time to start moving your stone. Come now. If you fit into any of those categories and even the slightest bit, you know if what I, what I want to do is I want to be absolutely sure my heart is clean before God. I want to be absolutely sure the living water can pour into me. And when it pours out of me, I'm a clean cup. So it pours out onto others with fullness and freshness and life. Just begin to talk to the Lord. Begin to tell him which of these categories you fall into. Begin to confess your sin. Decide what you need to do to move your stone. And when you've decided what you need to do to move your stone, if it's something you can do in this room, you can talk to someone, you can pray with someone, you can ask for help, you can talk to a teacher, you go move it right now, get it moved out of the way. And if it's something that you can't do right now in this room, then you need to tell someone before you leave this room what you're gonna do to move your stone. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? 
If you do, what stones might you need to roll to experience that in a real and tangible way? I encourage you not to procrastinate. Stop right now and talk with the Lord. Call a friend who you can pray with. Roll that stone away. If you enjoyed this podcast teaching from Dana Gresh, she has an entire collection of recorded messages available at danagresh.com. If you're wondering about that little school in central Pennsylvania where God moved in hearts through this message, check out graceprep.com.